Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that pits two movies with lots in common in a fight to the death to see which one comes out victorious. This week in the red corner, it's the movie that arguably launched the modern-day buddy action comedy as Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy team up for some bullets and bickering because from 1982, we're talking 48 hours. While in the blue corner, Eddie Murphy is back, but this time he's flying solo as he takes the lead in the movie that turned him into one of the biggest and most bankable stars on the planet. Planet from 1984. It's Beverly Hills Cop. We ain't partners. We ain't brothers and we ain't friends. I'm putting you down and keeping you down until Gans is locked up or dead. And if Gans gets away, you're going to be sorry you ever met me. I'm already sorry. Nick Nolte is a cop. Eddie Murphy is a con. I can help you get Gans, but you got to get me out of here first. You're crazy. He pulled some strings. See, you need me a little more than you thought. I'm Mr. K. He in California anyway. I was working. Working where? Beverly Hills. <laughs> That's up. Hey, Mikey. Oh. Well, you don't mind if I ask around a little bit, do you? Don't do a damn thing. Stay out of this. So it's a Murphy melee this week, but which film is better? Let's find out together. Welcome to Clash of the Titles. The Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. I've never seen so many backwards-ass country fucks in my life. <laughs> I'm Alex Zane. I'm Chris Tilly. And it's just the two of us this week. Vicky is gone. She's uh, she's gone. And uh, to be perfectly honest, we're not sure if she's coming back. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a contract dispute. Uh, we're hoping to get it sorted, but... Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to say too much uh, because of um, various litigation that's going on. But, you know, touch wood, uh, we can have this resolved, Clash Potters, because um, Lord knows we miss her already, right? This is quite dangerous because <laughs> she will listen to this and believe it and have a meltdown. Are you breaking up with me? <laughs> she won't. She won't. She's on holiday. She, you don't think she listens to this show when she's on holiday. No, of course not. Uh, but, but seriously, we're thinking of replacing her. So welcome to part one of 48 Hours versus Beverly Hills Cop. If you are new to the show, this is how it works. We're doing 48 Hours today in Beverly Hills Cop on Thursday, at which point we will declare definitively which is the better film. So the clue Chris gave on last week's show was... 
Uh, nothing. 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 We fell over. On a, I fell over on a get it based on the one clue. So we put it on Twitter and the clue was Murphy's Law and lots of people got it. Lots of people got it. Lots of people got it indeed. Yeah. So uh, your guesses were found bickering on our Twitter account where we are at, we are at ClashPod. Um, we're also on Instagram, by the way, uh, in case I haven't told you every single week forever. And TikTok at ClashPod. And we're also on YouTube. If you want some visual clash, check out our YouTube channel and please hit that subscribe button. So guess wise. Uh, well done, Lee. Robert Farley, Mark Pearson, and Ian Robson. But you were all beaten to the punch by our winner, John Wright. Well done, John. Your prize this week is a slap-up meal for one at Torchy's Country and Western Mm -hmm. Bar, the only bar that proves even scantily clad women can't make line dancing sexy. I really wanted... You know I like these 80s movies when they go to a strip bar and... Mm, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it triggers some sort of like pre-teen hormonal thing in me. And uh, and yeah, I was really excited for Torches because I couldn't remember 48 Hours. We'll talk about that. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, the assless chaps, fine. But but man, line dancing is not sexy. No, No, 100% agree. Yeah. You ever done it? Line dancing? Yeah. No, I was in middle school. Uh, um, <laughs> why am I saying this? Why do I answer all your questions honestly? I was in um, the Morris Dancing Club. Sure, you were at middle school. Mm. Mm-hmm. I didn't do myself any favors at middle school. No, do you? Um, do you remember any of the moves? <laughs> <laughs> I know we filmed this, <laughs> so the answer is no. All right, but we are going to the pub later. Right, sure. What if we got a clue that involves Morris dancing? <laughs> Great, I'll look forward to that. So, yes, well done, John Wright. Enjoy Torchies. Connection section. Eddie Murphy. Mm, Maverick Cops. Mm, uh, cops not knowing cops are cops happens a lot in 48 hours. Yeah, some would say too much. Right. Um, we've seen that scene three times. Uh, this, it appears to be the same police chief in both films. Just very, very shouty men. Very, very angry police chiefs. Yeah, got that. Jonathan Banks. Oh, oh. that face. That goddamn face. I love his face. But is it a face only a mother could love? I no, don't, you love it, so I, it's not. You've I, proved it wrong. I mean, he works better as Zach in Beverly Hills Cop. It feels like that is the face for a criminal. Yeah. It's just those dead eyes. Those <laughs> like haunted, shark. haunted dead <laughs> eyes. Uh, they both nearly starred Sylvester Stallone. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. Uh, they both end with hostage situations. Uh-huh. Um, there's a lot of scenes of cops at police stations ripping the piss out of our characters. Yep. Happens a lot in both films. Uh, they both have the same low point, Alex, where the cops oh. are ordered to take uh, the hero back to prison slash Detroit, but change their mind on the way. That's great. Mm. I didn't even spot that. Very specific. As you said, strip clubs. Yep. Um, what else? Cop killers. <laughs> it's quite important in both movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Yes. Wait, Beverly Hills cop. Wait, hang on a sec. Is he a cop killer? Who, who's the... I mean, at the end, they kill cops. They do. Right, okay. It's not the motivational factor no. where it is in 48 hours. Got you. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think that's everything. Well, you had more than me. So, yeah, let's do that. Great. Okay, brilliant. Let's get into this. On Thursday, I'll be heading to Beverly Hills, which means today Chris is on the mean streets of San Francisco for exactly 48 hours. Chris, take us on a journey. What happens when you pair a racist white cop with an African-American criminal? Racism. Mm -hmm. Lots of it. 
48 Hours is a very racist film where the white policeman Jack Cates teams up with black criminal Reggie Hammond to bring a pair of cop killers to justice. Though as proceedings progress, it seems less like Jack wants Reggie's help and more like he wants someone to shout discriminatory insults at. He eventually apologises to Reggie, claiming he was only saying those things because of his job, which is the weakest excuse in the history of prejudice. In response, Eddie Murphy does the Eddie Murphy laugh, doubtless because the script told him to, but maybe also because somewhere in the back of his brain, he knew he'd he'd soon be making a movie where he was the lead cop and would no longer have to take abuse like that from some drunken white dude. For your podcasting pleasure... 48 hours. Oh. I went hard. Mm, you did. You did. You, I mean, you dealt with it head on. I spoke to someone this morning. They were like, what are you doing on Clash today? I was like, 48 hours in Beverly mm. Hills Cup. And they were like, 48 hours. Now, I think that's quite problematic, isn't it? I was like, well, yeah, but Chris is doing it, so I'll just ride the Ah, wing. is that why I got quite a quick uh, text from you this week saying, I'm going to do Beverly Hills Cup? Uh, no, I, it was because I'd watched 48 Hours, but I was a little bit drunk, so I fine. hadn't made great notes. Fine, fine. All right, well, when did you first see this film, Alex? So, um, I saw this when I was about, I don't know, like 10 years old, maybe. Let's say about 10 years old. But the thing was, I saw it and I did not love this movie at mm-hmm. all. And that is, for one very, very, very particular reason, I'd already seen Beverly Hills Cop. Okay. So I'd seen Beverly Hills Cop. I'd loved Axel Foley. I put this on. Reggie Hammond, he is a proto-Axel Foley. And so he was doing little bits. I saw glimmers of what would become Axel Foley, who I loved. But in this, it was sort of more subdued and it was gritty and it wasn't what I wanted. It didn't have the sun-kissed Beverly Hills glow that Beverly Hills Cop gave me. So I wasn't a fan watching it this time, which is only the second time, never chosen to revisit this film. Oh, different, different experience. This, this is a bit of a masterpiece. Oh, wow. Mm, Big fan. Wow, interesting. I I don't know what order I watched them in. It was like whatever Eddie Murphy films were on the telly that I could get recorded, Mm -hmm. basically. I think I probably saw Golden Child before I saw these just because I was allowed to Mm -hmm. at the cinema. But um, yeah, so my main memory of this is just recording it off late night telly and it having lots and lots of bleeps in it. (laughs) Because that's what, even if it was on at midnight, they would bleep out all the swearing. And there's not much left of either of these films without the swearing. No. No, there isn't. So, um, so yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's quite an adult film for a kid to watch. It is, and it's... Like Hardcore said, violence, lots of unnecessary nudity, and lots of swearing, and obviously, as I said, quite a lot of racism. And it's a Walter Hill movie, and it's got that Walter Hill look to it, which is gritty. It's mm. not inviting to a kid. It's, it's, good. it's really difficult to actually qualify what that means. But you understand, Beverly Hills Cop looks a certain way. This looks like a, like a Walter Hill movie. Yeah. It's down, it's dirty, yeah. it's nasty, yeah. it's real. And that cast, you know, it's the Walter Hill ensemble where they're, they're bloody blokes and they're quite frightening and very charismatic and you can't take your eyes off them, but it's a bit scary. I honestly think this is... I was thinking about this as I was watching it. I was like, him? Oh, look, there's him. Oh, look, there's him. Mm. This the faces... The faces of the men in this movie Mm. are just some of the most memorable faces. And I don't know whether that's because I saw them first in the 80s as a kid and they sort of imprinted on me in some weird way. But I just go, oh, look, it's one of the best cast movies I've ever seen. But it's also because the films are so cool, because Mm. this is coming after The Warriors and Southern Comfort. Yeah. It's just cool faces, cool actors. 
uh, cool roles. So let's do a little bit of background. Uh, producer Lawrence Gordon came up with the idea in the early 1970s. This is what the premise apparently was of this film. The governor of Louisiana's daughter is kidnapped by a criminal who straps dynamite to her head and threatens to blow her up in 48 hours if the ransom is not met. Better film. The meanest cop goes to the worst prison in the state and gets out the most vicious criminal for his knowledge of the kidnapper who was his cellmate. That's so vicious. To her head. I mean, it does the same if you strap it to her body, but you're strapping it to her head. How old, how old do you think she is? I, I don't know. I wouldn't even like to hazard a guess, but... Oh, seven. No. <laughs> Come on. Seriously. Maybe. Maybe. Oh. A seven-year-old with dynamite. Wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't need much dynamite to take off a seven-year-old's head. No. A cheaper. No. Cheap. Yeah. Very cheap. <laughs> um, it was originally called Loan Out. <laughs> Low now. <laughs> yep. Not not good. Not good. Uh, lots of writers worked on this project. I'm not going to discuss them all because there's just too many. But it moved studios from Columbia to Paramount. Um, Robert Mitchum and Clint Eastwood were in the frame for the lead roles. Uh, Robert Mitchum, the cop. Clint Eastwood, the mean criminal. Mm-hmm. I'd watch the hell out of that. Yeah, yeah. What did I see Eastwood in as a criminal? Escape from Alcatraz. Mm. Yeah, good. And that's the film he did instead of this. Ah! Well, in the go. end. Um... So then they thought about teaming up Clint Eastwood with Richard Pryor, with Eastwood now the cop and Pryor now the criminal, Mm. which is closer to what we got. Mm -hmm. Um, But as I said, Eastwood went off and did Escape from New York. Joel Silver says at one point it was Burt Reynolds and Richard Pryor. How are you feeling about that? Obviously, that's the best idea in the world. Yeah. I think that is a good idea. No, genuinely. I mean, I love Burt Reynolds doing anything, but that's great. Yeah. Uh, Joel Silver says uh, in, uh, I think it's in the Don Simpson book that Sylvester, no, sorry, it's in a different book. Shut up, Chris. Uh, Stallone was attached um, to to do it with Richard Pryor, but they just weren't sure the, the world was ready for a Richard Pryor movie like this in the 1970s. Mm. Um, Nick Nolte got the cop role. How did that man become a movie star? So I'm going to be completely square with you. I don't know pre this movie, Nick Nolte, like doing a little bit of reading around this. Like he was something of a romantic lead, the pretty mm-hmm. boy, the, 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 the blue eyed, blonde haired, yeah. good looking romantic lead considered for Superman at one point. Yeah, and... he was in the, the second biggest TV miniseries of all time. I think Rich Man, Poor Man, something like that, where he was the romantic lead. So I, I, I see him in this, hmm. and then <laughs> then, then fa- fast forward to Warrior uh, period. Right, yeah, uh, I was going to think I see him in this, and then I see his mugshot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to do him a disservice, because we, we've all been there, we haven't. No, no not, uh, not to the extremes that Nick Nolte has. Not to the extremes of whatever is going on in that mm. photo. Yeah, it's fair to say he's effectively playing himself mm. for vast uh, sections of this film. Yeah, uh, But anyway, he did become a movie star, uh, so he got that role. Gregory Hines was wanted for the uh, Reggie Hammond role, but he was not available. And so quickly, I'm going to do a bit of background on Eddie Murphy. Sure. Eddie Murphy, he was doing stand-up by the time he was 16. At the same time as he was at school, Alex, he would dress in suits because he liked being noticed and he would carry a briefcase. Jeez, look at... Look at Eddie Murphy, look at me, go out and buy a briefcase right now. If you're at school listening to this, look at what you can become. Eddie Murphy or me, but both in the what I mean by that is we're both in the same sort of sphere. You, you understand that, right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I get it. Okay. Uh, in 1980, most of the cast of Saturday Night Live left. He wanted 
Saturday Night Live. So he called the office every single day for weeks. Um, Robert Townsend was going to be their one black cast member because they always had one black cast member at that time. Uh, But Eddie then blew them away with his audition. Uh, He ousted Robert Townsend and he was on that show by the time he was 19. Jeez. Um, He called it tokenism later, the fact that they cast him, but he also said they had no idea what was going to happen when I was on that show. Mm. And pretty soon... It was his show. Yeah. But this movie came about before it had become his show. This is a kind of in-between period, isn't it? Because he... No, he was already on the show. He was on the show, yeah. but he'd not really... He'd not become... He'd not exploded. Yeah, it hadn't become his little... The dynasty of yeah. Eddie Murphy. Yeah. No, the release of this film helps to coincide with that in quite a cool way. Right. But uh, Walter Hill is directing 48 Hours. He's dating a woman called Hildy Gottlieb. Hildy Gottlieb is Eddie Murphy's agent. <laughs> This proves to be quite helpful. Wow. Uh, so she said, meet Eddie Murphy. He met Eddie Murphy. Bang. He was like, you're my guy. Um, he saw the raw talent and gave him the gig. So now it was Nick Nolte's turn to meet Eddie Murphy. <sighs> have you heard about what happened when Nick Nolte flew to New York to meet Eddie Murphy? No. I have some quotes. Oh. These are direct quotes. I have watched Nick Nolte say this. I flew to New York and I got to 48th Street and I knew a black saxophone player there. I got to his apartment and in those days there was a little white powdery substance running around that was abused badly and I sat in his apartment for three days. <laughs> I said to him finally, hey man, i got to get over to meet this guy at Saturday Night Live. He said, the black cat? I said, yeah. He said, oh, you can't use him. He's a bass freak. You can't go near him. I said, oh, in that case, I'll go home. A bass freak is, mm. is free basing yep. cocaine. He went back to meet with Walter Hill, who said, you didn't meet him, did you? He said, no. Explained to him what happened. Walter Hill said, that's Garrett Morris, the previous guy who was on Saturday Night Live who had that issue. That's not Eddie Murphy. So he said, I met Eddie Murphy when he came to California. He was 18, very young guy. He didn't know near any substances. So Nick Nolte nearly ruined Eddie Murphy's <laughs> career. <laughs> well, no, Nick Nolte's saxophone playing friend. Yes. Nearly ruined Eddie Murphy's yeah, but, career. but maybe Nick would have had better judgment if he hadn't done cocaine for three days. <laughs> there was no Google back then, Chris. Where was he going to check? He couldn't check. <laughs> this is why the internet is a good thing. But that's fascinating, because Eddie Murphy is was is Famous. vehemently, vehemently anti-drugs. As and doesn't pope. drink, doesn't do drugs. Mm. Hung around with Rick James, hung around with some of the biggest drug takers of the 80s, oh, and yet wouldn't go near it. Talking about the Don Simpson book, yeah, there's quotes in there yeah. where one of the big Hollywood dealers who was dealing to Don Simpson, everyone else, Eddie Murphy was like, you're welcome to come in my house, but you never bring drugs in it. That'll be a bad day. That'll yeah. be a bad day. You're not allowed to break. He didn't have a problem with other people doing it. He wasn't, he, but like, he just was like, not around me, not in my house. Whether in the next, while in the next room, his brother, Charlie Murphy was saying, just come here. <laughs> I'm available. Uh, so Walter Hill said to Nick Nolte uh, of Eddie Murphy, it's going to be like acting with a kid or a dog. You've got to be good every take because the one he's great in, that's the one we're going to print. And it turns out that is kind of what happened on set, that Eddie Murphy would be brilliant one in five. But when he was brilliant, that was the one they had to use. Okay. Um, Stephen D'Souza worked on the script. Hill didn't like what he did, apparently. Uh, he said he wrote gags instead of personality, funny yeah. personality traits. Yeah. Although you read Stephen D'Souza, you'd think he did the whole thing himself. Uh, it's weird, though, isn't it? I just, uh, <laughs> most things Stephen D'Souza's worked on, he's pretty much, uh, you know, mm. guided the ship 
to blockbuster heaven. We're big fans of Steven I Seuss. Love yeah, yeah. I love him. I love him. We both had fun conversations with him. Hey, you have to have that confidence to get a career like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he brought a screenwriter called Larry Gross on, on board, telling him it's the defiant one with chuckles. The defiant one is this great film with Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier where they're chained together. They escape from prison mm. and they're handcuffed together. Great movie, great description. Um, so Larry Gross released some diaries about 15 years ago. He wrote daily diaries while they were making this movie that he then published online. I mean, some of it probably wants to be taken offline at this point. Right, excellent. Well done, Larry. Um, but Larry says his main contributions were the idea that Reggie Hammond wanted badly to have sex. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I read that and I was like, <coughs> I'm not in love with that idea. I don't, I don't find that a particularly it's, appealing part of this movie. It's quite a lot of the movie as well, isn't it? Watch it this time, I was like, this is coming up a lot. I mean, the biggest thing I learned was that trim used to be a thing. <laughs> I, I hadn't ever heard that before. You've never been on a trim hunt? <laughs> I've never been on a trim hunt. If I don't get some trim before the night is out I'm going to burst oh, it's horrible um, he said Nick Nolte having a relationship with his girlfriend that mirrored the frustration Eddie was having was his and you can see what they're trying to do there I don't think it works and then he said he sharpened up the killers and made them a bit more interesting so yeah as I say the shoot of the film uh, Eddie they reckon was bad in most takes but very good in one that's what we see in the finished film. And that's improv, though. That's improv. I mean, that's the thing, you know. I've told you before this story, so... Same story alert. Hey, did you just hear that? But being on the set of um, Anchorman, the sequel to Anchorman, and um, watching the organic way in which the scene starts with what's on the page, mm. and Adam McKay shouts stuff out, Paul Rudd tries stuff, Will Ferrell tries stuff, Steve Carell tries stuff, the other guy doesn't. And, um, <laughs> and then they just sort of, like, you watch it just transform mm. into this thing. But in the process of getting to this brilliant thing... There's duff stuff in there. Yeah. But also, he's not a professional actor. This is his first mm. time acting ever. And they said in the dailies, his deficiencies were on show as much as his strengths. Jeffrey Katzenberg replaced Don Simpson at the studio and he wanted Eddie Murphy out. Mm. Uh, they panicked, basically, and they were going to recast the movie. But it was Walter Hill that held firm. He assembled uh, the best of his footage, did a new pass at the script and convinced the studio that Murphy was their guy. He said he realised that he was best when he was competing with Nick Nolte in a scene. Mm -hmm. They had to come with something the two of them would argue over, uh, and then Murphy would be the successor, and that's what worked. He said he likes provocation, so in a sporting terminology, he added stuff where it's like two guys going for the same basketball. Okay, I don't understand that analogy, but sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm sort of aware of basketball. Is it good to go for the same ball? Two guys going... It's, it's, like, it's like you're fighting over a ball. Right. Okay. It's like I throw is that what this water bottle is? in the air yeah. and then we both try and get it. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's already raining outside. I'm wearing, I'm wearing linen trousers and... Um, yeah, and I've also I just realised I should have sat in that seat. A few moments later. Why we have to turn sideways when I could just be looking directly at you? Mm, I like that, though. I like the effort. And means. I realised I should have been sitting there as well because that's the Clash of the Title sign behind us. I've really messed this up by sticking in my spot. Yeah. A few minutes later. So, mm. let's talk about the movie. <laughs> Don't make people miss Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Excellent. Excellent work. Shall I stay in this chair? <laughs> just stay where you fucking are! All right, let's do the movie. Let's do the movie. Uh, credits, Nick Nolte before E. Murphy. Mm. Won't stay that way forever. <laughs> I doubt that's what happened on another 48 hours. Interesting. Oh, I wish I'd checked that. That's a fascinating little tidbit. I nearly rewatched it because as I, told, I texted you to say I'm, I'm watching Beverly Hills Cop 2. Just, that's important. Just for completion's sake. And yeah. I, I was going to watch another 48 hours and then I just I read what went on and why it was so bad and I was like, I can't be bothered with this. Oh, what went on quickly? Um, they cut half an hour of it a week before they released it. <laughs> <laughs> and none of it makes sense. Sure. Like they even cut out the scene where like he goes to 
to get him from the jail and he says we've got 48 hours again they didn't that's not in the film <laughs> wait surely he said we've got another 48 hours well, whatever <laughs> otherwise it, no it was called 48 hours again right yeah sure I forgot I mean I didn't watch it I've never <laughs> seen it Never seen it. Oh, yeah. I, 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 again, I probably came to that at the same time I came to this. Right. Not good. Right. We got a cold open. We got men working on a chain gang in real Walter Hill style. Muscular. That's the word I'd use to describe this opening. It is a muscular opening. You're like, oh, this is real. This is men. This is, I'm going to say that a lot in this episode. So it's, it's probably a good thing Vicky's not here. This is a man's film. And they are two men. There's uh, Billy Bear, played <laughs> yeah. by our old friend Sonny Landham. Ugh, yeah. Albert Gans, played by James Ramar. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I spoke about Sonny Landham on the Predator episode. You can hear about what a horrible man he was. Yep, thanks for that. I did not know that at no. all. It's kind of spot Predator for me, I won't lie, a little bit, knowing that he's not a nice person. Would you like to hear a bit more about what he got up to on the set of 48 Hours, thanks to our friend Larry Gross's diary? Oh, my God, is this the stuff that you think maybe should be taken down? <laughs> no, no, this right. is fine. It's more Larry Gross talking about women. Um, Got you. But uh, so on the fir- his Sonny Landham's first day on set was this. And Larry Gross could hear everyone warning him not to drink, which he thought was a bit frightening. Warning Sonny not to drink. Yes. Apparently, Sonny can get strange when he drinks, he was told. Strange. That's, that, if you ever hear someone described as getting strange when they drink... That means they're a fucking terrible drunk. It doesn't mean they're going to go, hey, Aunt Curtain's weird. It means bad. No, it's your first day on a set. You're not the lead in this film. Mm-hmm. You're trying to establish a career. Uh, the next morning, uh, Larry woke up to hear that Sonny was thrown in jail. <laughs> so Sonny gave a barmaid $20 to find him two sex workers. Uh, that barmaid went off duty without doing her duty. Uh, Sonny ended up trying to punch out the desk clerk. Uh, the cops arrived. The cops tried not to arrest him, but he was determined <laughs> of being arrested. He persisted in his behaviour and he ended up going to jail. Right. There you go. First day on set. And that's, that's just a soup song of what we get into on the Predator episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, so back to this. Uh, Billy Bear and Albert Gans escape uh, by shooting two guards. It's a very violent, very unpleasant opening scene. Um, then we see them ordering women over the phone. Yep. Young. Like pizzas. Tall and thin. Mm. Yep. Yeah, uh, and we realise they've killed a, a guy on a park bench and stolen his credit cards. It like took me that. a while to figure that out. I like that. I like. Yeah. That. I like the mystery. Yeah, I like the mystery. What's going on? Why is he dead? I didn't even realise he was dead to begin with. I was like, "There's a man asleep." No, <laughs> dead. No, dead mm. without his credit cards. So I've got a next section here. I've called it "Meet Our Hero?" Question mark Because Jack Cates wakes up next to Elaine, uh, his girlfriend. He pours booze into his coffee, and they have a big argument. But again, right, this is this is this harks back to an era where, like, you know, you just you would just wouldn't and couldn't write a male character like this, who is your inadvertent commas likable ish. Let's not get into that right now. Lead in the movie. But this is this is an era where you still had hard drinking cops in beat up old cars mm. who were committed to the job, who had a girl who gave them shit, but really loved them and stood by them despite all their bullshit. Yep. Um, sorry, I was just going to show you the car. Do you want to know where the car is now? The car that Jack Cates drives? Yep. Go on. Look who owns it. Is that, is that Vanilla Ice? Vanilla Ice uh, bought it and has done it up. That sort of sp- then it's just a car. That's why my- it doesn't look anything like the car in the movie. That's exactly what Vanilla Ice would do. <laughs> Guess what I've got? I've got the car. That car probably wasn't w- roadworthy. <laughs> From though. Forty-eight hours. It's like, where is it? 
No, that, that, I'm standing in front of it. That's not it. No. You were had. No, 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 I painted it, got it tricked out. It looks nothing like it. Are you saying it's like Trigger's Broom? What's oh, no, you don't, watch, you don't watch Tony Fools and Horses. No. That's a good joke if you watch Tony Fools and Horses. Oh, okay. Uh, anyway. I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Um, Jack Cates uh, is drunk driving around San Francisco to the Commando score by James Horner. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's mad. It's the steel drums from Commando. I, I heard this. I wrote down, steel drums? Where mm. from? Where? Yeah. Where have I heard that Where before? It is. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, this was first. It was. It mm. was. I mean, we, we've learned along the way that James Horner does sometimes reuse his uh, music. In fact, we've learned that most um, people who write scores reuse material, don't they? Yep. It's a, it's, a, it's a true thing. Yeah, Hans Zimmer, John Williams, all our favourites. Mm. Uh, we meet Luther, played by David Patrick Kelly. Again, Warriors this come is, out to play this is, what, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. First first of many iconic faces. You just mm. look at him and you go, oh, there's, it's like a face that tells a story in its own right. He doesn't even need to do any face acting. It's just like, got you. I know that guy. Yeah. And, and uh, speak- <laughs> maybe, it's, well, maybe it's typecasting. I just realised that. You just see that face and you know probably a baden yeah he's saying he's rat-faced i didn't say that. i did yeah. uh yeah and speaking of commando of course mm. one of his one of his greatest roles um <laughs> hey major you said you were gonna kill me last <laughs> uh so uh so gans wants the money uh that he's hidden that reggie hid and so luther promises to get him his money by monday and in return gans takes his girl rosalie until then yeah um uh, I got I got a question. So they book a room at the at the the the, the, the hotel, the motel, the, yes. the rundown hotel, and they use the credit ma- cards they've stolen. They use the credit cards they've stolen, and they give a name. So when Jonathan Banks's cop and his partner mm. turn up looking for that name, because I thought, well, you're giving a false name. That seems like the wise thing to do. They're giving a false name to hide away at this hotel until Monday morning to get the money. So how how are the cops on their trail? They can't give a false name. They've got to give the name on the credit card. So the cops are looking for... The stolen credit cards, and they've come up at this hotel being used. Okay, okay. So that's how they track them down. Got you. Um, was that okay? That was good, actually. That wasn't yeah. a lecture. No, no. <laughs> I'm the one who loves a lecture. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there's a hostage situation and Jack gives up his gun to save the hostages slash Jonathan Banks. Jonathan Banks is sweating and crying here. What? It's a weird performance. So, I have another question here. So, where he says, don't you do it, Jack. Don't, don't do it, Jack. Is he saying... Don't fire at them or don't give them your gun. Don't give them your gun. So he's still being a good cop. He's not like being a coward in that moment. No. So he's crying. No, he's come down to help because he should probably stay upstairs in the state he's in. Yeah. He just complicates issues by being there, to be honest. Sure. But um, Jack does give up his um, gun. Gan shoots Jonathan Banks dead. Doesn't manage to kill Jack, even though he really could. Mm -hmm. He'd just have to stroll over and shoot him. Yeah. But he just puts some bullets into a bit of wood instead. Yeah. I like the fact that... uh, Jack is referred to earlier by Jonathan Banks as we don't need no heavy artillery. So much in that line, you're like, mm. so Jack, A, either likes to have a big gun, which he does, mm. and B, he likes to shoot uh, yeah. a lot, which makes you go, he's going to shoot him, but he doesn't. He gives his artillery no, away. he doesn't. Uh, he gets back to the station, Jack. He doesn't seem that bothered by the deaths, you know. <laughs> I feel like you'd be more upset if your mates have just been killed in front of you. <laughs> they're not his mates. They were giving him shit. Right. He was giving them shit. But they're all cops. Right. There's a code of honour. It's a brotherhood, a sisterhood. It's a hood. Um, He's rude to a sex worker who thinks that Gans likes shooting cops more than he likes getting laid. That's a good line. Mm. That tells you a lot about him. Maybe he didn't like the merchandise. 
fuck you. <laughs> Love that bit. Yeah. She's really good. She's really good. Uh, Police Chief Hayden enters the fray now, played mm. by Frank McRae. Yeah. And he starts shouting. Um, and you go, where have I seen this before? <laughs> and then you go, oh my God, it's Last Action Hero. Yeah. And Loaded Weapon. Ah. Same actor, I think, in all of them. Yeah. Just re- redoing. So I looked him up. He's six foot six inches tall. Oh my God. Um, there are scenes in this film where he's shouting so loudly, I can't understand what he's saying. It doesn't really matter, but it's like... But that's the joke they do in Last no, Action Heroes. Yeah, it's great. But this, I guess this is the first time we saw the, the African-American shouty police chief. And it's great. Yeah. It's great. Um, yeah, because, also... I mean, I touched on this at the start. Like, this is... You know, in my introduction, this is this is the sort of the genesis of the modern day buddy action comedy. Because yeah. there was there's a, there was a couple before, like Freebie and the Bee, yeah. which I haven't seen. No, it's quite hard to get hold of. Apparently so, yeah. and also Alan Arkin plays a Mexican, which is why you don't see it very right. Often. Yeah, but um, I watched the trailer, and the trailer it wasn't actually the trailer. I thought I'd watch the trailer. It was like a fan made trailer because it was about six minutes long. Yeah, with loads of stuff in it. It the trailer makes it look phenomenal. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Mm. Let's sort it out. All if right. you if you're listening to us, uh Alan Arkin, probably dead. Um, please release your film. Yeah. Brian James as Kehoe in a wig. Do you know, recognise Brian James? He's one of the cops there. He ends up being the villain in another forty eight hours. Okay, no. Famous actor. Um yeah, he plays just one of the cops. He doesn't have a large role, but mm. one of those faces. Brian um, James. Brian James is there as well. Yeah. Leon from Blade Runner. That's how I always recognise him. I'm like, that's Leon from Blade right. Runner. Right, okay. You know the guy from uh, the other Walter Hill movie we did? Southern I, Comfort. I just said Brian James. Oh, did you? Three times and oh, you shit. said you didn't know who that was. Did you say Brian James? Yeah. Oh my God, I told you. I've had like four hours sleep. Yeah, the you, dog woke me up like I thought you were taking times. the piss when you said Brian James is in it. <laughs> that's who I was describing. <laughs> oh, I think I had too much lem sip at lunchtime. Okay. I'm I think fine. let's take a break and when we come back... The film yeah. changes. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And we're back. And now the movie kicks up a gear because we meet Reggie Hammond. So uh, Jack is going to meet one of uh, Gans's gang in prison. Uh, he gets there and the person is singing Roxanne by the police. Oh, what an introduction. Yep. What a way to introduce the man who is going to own the rest of the 80s. It's 
incredible. Yeah. I mean, the confidence, the confidence to just be on a set and you're in your first movie, not a movie star, not yet broken Saturday Night Live, and just go, this is how I'm going to have myself introduced. Because I don't think that was in the script. Do you not? I really don't. No. No. That feels like pure Eddie Murphy. And it works because he picked a song that's still around now. Mm. If he'd picked some other pop song from that era that wasn't, it wouldn't work. I mean, come on. You knew Roxanne was a hit the minute you heard it. That, that song was never going to die. No. So he's in there for armed robbery. He's got six months to go on a three-year sentence. And uh, he agrees to help Jack as long as he can get out to protect what he's got on the streets. Mm. Uh, he wants Gans just as bad as Jack does. We don't know why. They should make more of that. I feel like I feel like Reggie should have a real revenge vendetta against him for killing one of his friends or something. Because at the moment, it's all over the money, isn't it, in this film? I mean, it's half a million dollars, Chris. Which means... Inflation Corner! Okay. We really need to actually have some sound effects for this theme song. Inflation Corner. Uh, it's just over. It's not really that exciting. So it's 982. Uh, uh, $500,000 yep. is now one and a half million dollars. Okay. So it's a sizable amount. Yeah, that's three times the amount. Yep, that's that's correct. Yeah, three times. I can do maths as yep. well. Um, <laughs> but, but, but that was Inflation Corner. His powerful presence here, Eddie Murphy, though, he's not being funny, though. He's being sort of angry. He shouts, fuck you, as Jack walks away, because Jack isn't convinced he wants to do the deal with him. Hence what I said at the start. Confusing for me. I'm like, whoa, Axel would have done something funny there. Mm. I like it, though. I like it. And so uh, Jack gets 48 hours to take Reggie out of prison. Uh, He leaves in a suit because he's got a reputation with the women. There's a whole bit here where Jack uses a fake name to check him out and the guy's like, hey, if it doesn't work out as a cop, you've got another job as a forger. And you're like, ooh, when's that? Never, never no, going to come back. Never coming back. Just a weird moment. So that Armani suit that Reggie wears, mm. uh, that was inspired by when he went to meet with the screenwriters, he showed up in a really smart suit, Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. So it's true, he does, he does love to dress well. Yep. Uh, though he's about to start dressing crazily in real life, isn't he? Because the leather suits are coming very soon. Yeah, hence uh, the joke. Joke, yep. coming on Thursday. Absolutely. Um, so there's reference to a pussy hunt here, uh, trim hunt later, pussy hunt here. hate even saying that. Uh, Jack doesn't do, want his do, jive. Do you? Or was it a little bit of an excuse? I just well, said it twice. I, I, I have to say it because well, it's important for the script. I said it yeah. twice. You did. Uh, we ain't partners. We ain't brothers. We ain't friends. Uh, good. That was a good naughty. <laughs> I was wondering if you can do a naughty. I can't. No. You just growled, didn't you? That's not yes, bad. It. Yeah. Uh, handcuffs him and takes him out, and so they head to Luther. Uh, Luther shoots at Jack. Reggie takes him out with a car door. Fine. Um, and Jack sh- kicks the shit out of Luther and calls Reggie a watermelon. Yep. There you go. That's the first of many. Yep. Uh, a few N-words coming soon as well, but we've got chat of the uh, trim hunt here, and later on there's a turd hunt. A lot of hunts in this film. Yeah, or oh, maybe too many. <laughs> maybe uh, too many. There you go. Uh, the first sign that they've both got women troubles because Jack spends half this movie on the phone to Elaine and it just goes nowhere and we don't care. <laughs> I like Elaine. Uh, uh, I, got, I like her. She's... She's feisty. She's like not taking any of his shit. Is she not just the naggy girlfriend? I don't know. I I mean, I like it when she's had enough. Like, sure. She's just like, I, it's weird. The minute, the bit you said earlier, everyone in this movie who ever has the line, fuck you, 
delivers it perfectly. Yeah, yeah. This has got some of the best fuck yous in cinema. Agreed, agreed. Um, and some coming up now because we have the torchy scene. Oh. The bar scene. Oh. So originally, this was in a, a, an African-American bar. And he was going to show Jack how he deals with the brothers. That's what the scene was going to be. Mm. But they were inspired, once Eddie Murphy was cast, by he did a lot of racial material on SNL. And so they they were like, let's transfer this directly. He can do funny impressions of white people. Mm. He can take the piss out of white people. Because it makes... It doesn't make as much sense now because before they were going to a black bar to find a Native American man. Now they're going to a racist white bar to find a Native American man. That's true. He wouldn't hang out there. That's true. But yeah, I mean, this is the brilliant thing about Eddie Murphy is that he was so incendiary and like he took it head on. He was like, I'm going to I'm going to like take this racist culture that exists was very prevalent. It's still prevalent now, but back then. So much more, and I'm gonna do. I'm gonna uh, tackle it head on, like and uh, obviously, and there's no shying away from it. I am going to, like you know, call it out, and that's yep. what made him just like this, like live wire on screen. And 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 this is in in Larry Gross's diary. He said this was the one thing Eddie was excited about the first day I met him, um, and for that reason, Walter Hill pushed this to the back of the shoot. No, and so he said, Walter. Uh, senses that the strategy of waiting and keeping that scene till the end of the shoot when Eddie is a million times more confident has paid off. He said, I've got to get busy and get this scene done so this kid can jack up his price. <laughs> and uh, Walter Hill himself said, by that point, Eddie was in full control of his instrument. He was commanding that room for real. So, yeah, it's his attitude and experience is what gets you through. It's very Axel Foley, that line, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, so, yeah, he's in there um, and he's got... He's got um, uh, Jack's badge and they're ready to experience some of his bullshit so as you said there's there's country line dancing happening there's a confederate flag yep. in the background um, he walks in and says not a very popular place with the brothers he orders a vodka and he's offered a black Russian mm-hmm. he laughs flashes his badge then throws a glass into the mirror and that's when everything changes mm-hmm. like the whole room goes quiet he takes control calls them backwards ass country fucks yep uh, he beats up a guy that calls him the n-word I don't like white people I hate rednecks you people are rednecks that means I'm enjoying this shit (laughs) Um, he uh, then he says I'm your worst nightmare I'm an n-word with a badge yep uh, Stephen D'Souza said Eddie definitely ad-libbed that line because I would have been too nervous to type it sure sure uh, sure, but this is this is this is like I said at the start. This is proto Axel Foley. This is this is exactly what Axel does really well. What Eddie does in that role of pretending to be something he's not over and over again. And obviously, you know, like the scene at the uh, Beverly Palm Hotel. You know, when he checks in, he brings the N word right to the fore. Mm. Well, I believe he's the only one that says it in Beverly Hills Cop. Mm. Yeah. So he's taking control. Yes, um, but um. I think what's interesting is... What was I going to say? So he starts smashing up the bar. The barman tells him where Billy Gale's live, Gale, Billy's girl lives, and then he grabs the cowboy hat and walks out. Yeah. And I think this, this scene rescues the film because obviously you had African-American audiences super excited to see their favourite person on SNL in a movie, and then for the first 50 minutes he's on screen, he's being called the N-word and watermelon and all these awful racist things. Indeed. And so it completely turns around. You can just see cinemas cheering and clapping when this happens in the Bronx, in Brooklyn, in wherever. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's also just a great scene because he's just so commanding and electrifying and you just feel that energy 
because he is improvising, no doubt. He's having fun with each new person he comes across. He's like, his brain's whirring. There's like fire in his eyes and his belly. And like, you just, oh. And Nick Nolte as Jack is having fun watching him. You know, he steps in to help at one point, and then you can see him trying to figure out, and you can see him laugh at one point when he says, he tells someone he doesn't have a job. I can't believe you got a job. But um, ironically, this scene was nearly cut down as well because they were worried it would offend audiences. Wow. You know, your target market is, is also white audiences. And, oh, are we going to upset them all by having this happen? Sure. No is the answer. Sure. So, yeah, uh, what a scene. Uh, so now they do some police work. Uh, they go to an apartment to meet a couple of women. Uh, Reggie later calls them dykes, so he hasn't, he's not immune from the small-minded prejudice, is he? Mm-hmm. Um, but these women uh, call the police on them. Now, we learn later that they are lying and they are harbouring Billy Bear. So it makes no sense for them to call the police. Oh, well, they, we don't know that they're harbouring Billy Bear at that point. He might not have sought refuge at Do you think? his ex-girlfriend's apartment. She seems genuine. Where I don't know that. Yet. I don't think she's set up to be that good a liar. I think at that point she hasn't seen Billy Bear. Okay. Oh, actually, no, because there's the line later on mm. where he goes, "You've always been Billy's girl," which mm. implies that they were harbouring them earlier. Yeah. But yeah, this is, I think, maybe the first time we mentioned it earlier where someone doesn't believe Jack's a cop, it's going to happen again. Yep. And again. And again. And again. And a few times on Thursday. Mm. Uh, Jack calls him a spear chucker, calls him the N-word, yeah. uh, cold cocks him and they have a brawl. Shouldn't Nick Nolte be killing Eddie Murphy in a fight? I mean, I'm sure Eddie Murphy can fight dirty, but he's not big, and Nick Nolte's just a bear. But Nick Nolte's also a drunk, so his reactions are slower because okay. he's been sipping on that whiskey okay. all day. All right, I'll give you that. But I, I almost think it's one of the best moments in the film after the fight where they get back in the car and there's the brief pause and it's timed to perfection where then Nick Nolte throws one last punch. Mm. and just like clocks Eddie around the face. Such a bastard. Uh, So we learn about uh, the 500k is actually hidden in the trunk of Eddie's, of Reggie's car, which is just in the garage. Yeah, and Luther hasn't touched it for three years. Yeah. Why? I don't know. I don't trust Luther. It doesn't make sense. Luther seems like he'd be off with it within seconds. 100%. He's he's a rat. So is he being, who's he being loyal to? Reggie? Yeah. Right. Why? I mean, maybe, maybe Luther is a good guy. Okay. Well, he's... yeah, because he's at gunpoint by by Gans, isn't he? He's got no choice in this. So, and he's very concerned about his girlfriend. It's not. Yeah, you know, yeah. That's a genuine relationship. It's just it's hard to believe Luther and Reggie as mates. They don't look like they'd be mates. Well, they don't act like mates when Reggie first sees Luther again and slams a door into him. <laughs> you don't go, oh, they're friends. I, I imagine the guy was just like mm. knocked to his knees by a car door. Is going, but I've saved you money for three years. So what we're saying is this doesn't make a hundred percent sense. This bit's a bit, yeah, a bit skewed. With. Uh, so they follow Luther to a train station just so they can have a, a, a sort of half an action scene. Uh, although we do see Billy is now wearing a black leather suit, which I like. Yeah. And they jump on the train. They get away. Uh, I've written here, this is the third or fourth scene where cops uh, pull a gun on Jack, uh, not realising he's a cop. Right. So it's obviously happened three or four times. Yep. Um, another phone call with Elaine because we haven't had enough of them. Uh, and Reggie gets to a bar where he's the musical number. The boys are back in town, which is sort of the anthem of this film and certainly became the anthem when they did the sequel. Yeah, the tagline for the sequel was the boys mm. are back in town. Mm-hmm. Here we get the apology. Um... So you think this is a half-assed apology? Yeah. So what happens is, um, you know, Jack doesn't trust Reggie, but Reggie calls Jack. Reggie is on Jack's side. And so sort of Jack's starting to see him in a different light now, apologises for the N-word and watermelon. He says, I was just doing my job keeping you down. 
Right. That is not an acceptable apology no. for calling someone the N-word repeatedly. No. Uh, Reggie initially doesn't accept the explanation either. I'm thinking, oh, good. You're going to really call him out on this. But then he just does the laugh. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you'd get out of that in this movie without, like, Eddie doing the Eddie laugh, because otherwise, I mean, it's got... You're sort of bowling along with this action crime thriller plot, and... Yeah, is it is it acceptable? No. And do you do you ever really watching it especially now like do you ever sort of see Jack as an okay guy again after this moment? <sighs> I mean it's hard. I don't know how I'd feel if I was yeah. black watching this. Yeah. Um yeah, it's tricky. I mean the fact that Reggie accepts him we're supposed to accept him, yeah, and they and they do, and they do, and they are friends at the end. And it's almost nice to see the change, but it still doesn't forgive what's come before. I don't think. Mm. Um, so we meet a girl called Candy, who seems is she in love with Reggie from the moment she meets him? They're in love in a minute. <laughs> yeah, well, I think so. I mean, I you know, it's Reggie Hammond. I guess, I guess he does look good. It's Eddie Murphy. Um, and we we jump into a bus chase. Yeah. Big thing in the eighties. Yeah, this little bus chase. Red Heat. Yeah, I'm sure. There's another one somewhere. Yeah, I'm thinking of Bond. Bond did one. Living Daylights have one. I think. Yeah. Oh, was a tank. They're never very exciting, if I'm perfectly honest. Buses not a sexy form of transport. No. I mean, by the time we get to the Rock, Michael Bay's not going Lamborghini or bus. Lamborghini or bus. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, let's not dwell on that. Um, this is when the chief's shouting so loud at them, I can't understand what he's saying. Uh, but Jack stands up for Reggie here, says he's got brains and got guts. And, and so Reggie we- stands up for Jack in yep. return. Yeah. They're buddies now. It's a, it's a buddy comedy. But they give up. They go for a drink on the way back to prison. And sort of sad that their partnership is ending so soon. Mm. But... They decide to head to Chinatown in case Billy head back to his girl's place that they've already been to. Um, this is the main bit of police work that happens in the film, and it's just going back to someone they somewhere they've been to already. It's, it's a, rubbish. It, it's a weird moment because Jack's basically going, "No, no, no, we did it. We we went there." And Reggie's the one who goes, "Oh, come on, let's do it." And Jack's like, oh, "Fine, like I've just got nothing else to do." Mm. Reggie's sort of the one who instigates this. That not cop. The not cop goes, you know, they never never leave a stone unturned or whatever he says, but they go back there. It's just not very creative at all. Um, and there, Billy's there, so Reggie pulls a gun on Billy. Billy pulls a knife and laughs. Reggie shoots him dead. Yep. Fine. Good. And so we've got a gunfight with Gans now and a chase down a smoky alleyway. It's quite low-key, but it looks cool. It's got, it looks like Blade Runner to me with all the lights <laughs> and the smoke. Chinatown in San Francisco. Have you been to San Francisco? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love Chinatown. It's like, it's one of the most exciting Chinatowns yes. I've been to. It's huge, vast, and it's got lots of little nooks and crannies and old town. It's yeah. brilliant. Amazing. Uh, we have a hostage situation there uh, with Reggie. Reggie demands Jack blow his brains out. Uh, Jack does shoot mm. and shoots Gans. Reggie, are you crazy, man? I was bluffing. I love the fact that this is a repeat of the start where we had, you know, Jonathan Banks. It's yep. the same situation, but this time he ain't going to give up his gun. He, he's, he's learned. But what I also love about this is you expect it to play out a lot longer. Mm. It feels like you, ex- you, you've you got a beat in your head for how this scene should go, and that beat is like, there's going to be a bit to and fro, mm. eyes, cat and mouse. And it doesn't. No. He, just goes, he just goes, bang, done, dead. And I love the fact that you finally see what a psychopath James Ramar is, where he, he just can't believe he's being shot. You know, that indestructible quality villains yeah, have, yeah. where they just don't believe they're going to lose a psychopath in them, and he's just like... <laughs> 
I can't believe I've been shot. I mean, I'd, I'd realised he was a psychopath earlier. Uh, I, I wasn't sure. I wasn't <laughs> sure if he was going to do the flip reverse and he was going to be the hero. He gets shot a lot over and over and over again in the chest. Does that remind you of Ed 209, Alex? <laughs> no. Any stories about that? <laughs> uh, you're not going to get me that easy. Okay. And we're done. Reggie shags Candy. Uh, he'll be back in six months. They're in love with each other. Yep. Um, so there were claims that Walter Hill isn't very good at making movies about women. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a quote from him. One thing, one of the things I think that makes 48 Hours really more interesting than the average kind of movie like this is that although women play relatively small roles in the narrative, they kind of haunt everyone's imagination. The film really is sort of a screwball comedy about men and women trying to get together. Mm. Wow. Feminist, a feminist piece, 48 Hours. Yeah, haunting women. <laughs> Ghost women. <laughs> What's he talking about? <laughs> women haunts this film. I guess people have said to him, you don't make film about women. No, for, have you seen 48 <laughs> Hours? That's my feminist piece. What do you mean I don't make movies about women? <laughs> they haunt every cell. <laughs> the victims, the sex workers, the the nagging girlfriends. Um, yeah, uh, uh, Jack asked Reggie what the sex was like and, and Reggie says, great, I should have my dick bronzed. I mean, sure, <laughs> the only reason that line is there, what was the sex like, is to set up that line because, you know... <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean... But, but, we never have to have that conversation. No, by the way. I'm never going to. I'm never going to ask you that question. I don't think most. I mean, actually, maybe I don't know. Lad Bance is that Lad what people? Bance? Yeah, I guess so. Maybe this happens. Maybe this is a thing. We should do it sometime. I don't want to do it. Boys just being boys. Um, so uh, Jack sticks the money in Reggie's trunk. He doesn't want any of it, although he does want a car, preferably a convertible. <laughs> yeah. And he will still bust Reggie if he crosses the line. Mm. Um, how do you know? How you, if I did become a thief, yeah. what makes you think you could yeah, yeah, catch me? Can I have my lighter back, Reggie? <laughs> Great, that's a lovely, brilliant tip, way to end it. Yeah, and, and Eddie Murphy does a bit of the laugh, and yeah. the film ends. They drive off. That's it. Into the sunset. So Reggie's back in jail in another 48 hours. He is. Oh, yeah, he is. Right. So um, I'm getting on to that. But um, Eddie Murphy's grandma took her church to a preview of this film. Uh, a special dinner was laid on afterwards. Her church skipped the special dinner. <laughs> <laughs> you um, think he'd give us some warning. I mean, there's, there's a grandmother's pride, but there's also, gee, your church is coming. <laughs> um, let's circle back to Saturday Night Live. So Nick Nolte was apparently too hungover to host Saturday Night Live the weekend 48 Hours came out. And uh, so Eddie Murphy. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's. I mean, a different time. It's just. Uh, I don't know. I don't know whether I respect it or it appalls me. It's the idea that if someone goes, your agent calls and goes, "I got you the Saturday Night Live gig," and you're like, oh, "That's so awesome." Uh, do you know what? I'm going. I'm going out on the Friday and I'm just not sure how I'll feel. Can I let you know Saturday morning? <laughs> Is what? Uh, but Eddie Murphy, who was obviously a cast member, um, walked out on stage and, and said, you've been promised one of the stars of 48 Hours would host. Uh, and now it's the Eddie Murphy show. And so this is one of those moments that really helped launch him, where it was like, wow, a cast member is hosting Saturday Night Live. But mm. by that point, it was just, he, he was exploding. Yep. He was on his way to becoming the second biggest star on the planet. After Michael Jackson. Right. I don't okay. think he ever overtook Michael. No, that's, that's true. But uh, he was number two, so that's not bad. Imagine being one of the other cast members on Saturday Night Live <laughs> that day. <laughs> Wait, Eddie's hosting. And do I host next... 
No, no, no. <laughs> Evan, no, no. Okay. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. But they say... Because you know he's the newest one. <laughs> they say, though, that Lorne Michaels would like... You know, he's, he's got it all planned out, what sketch is going where, but some of the spots on the, on the notice board would just say, Eddie Murphy does something here, Eddie does something here, because they just, you know, they knew. Yeah. Um, so as for the sequel, uh, Walter Hill says, I was, to tell you the truth, a little sceptical. Uh, they usually come out twice as expensive and half as good. Not always. I think the Leone movies always got better and there are a few others. I felt the studio might encourage me to make a softer film. And if you make a softer version of 48 Hours, you're going to have Beverly Hills Cop. Wow. Um, so as I said, the sequel was reduced from 145 minutes to 95 minutes the week before it was released, meaning there's continuity errors in it. There's plot holes. Uh, they cut out. The, so a lot of the cops from the first film return in the second one. They were all cut out. Well, do, do you know what the thinking was or was it just a studio panic. last minute panic? Just panic. Fine. And uh, yeah, it's got 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and I'll leave you with a quote from Walter Hill about making that. He says, a lot of folks will say I'm just doing it for the money. What I want to know is, why do they think I made the first one? <laughs> Walter Hill does not give a fuck. Oh, I love him. Love him. Right, should we do the questions? Yeah, the bits. Let's All do right. them. The, the categories. Yeah. Um, Alex, why is your favourite scene the scene in Torchy's bar? Because it's the best scene <laughs> in the movie, Chris. I'm a big fan of that scene, Torchy's. Yeah. It's great. It's just, it's the, it's the moment. It's the moment where, you know, the funniest person in the movie, the brightest star in the movie gets to shine brightest. I think there's an argument for it to being one of the greatest scenes in movie history mm. because it is the launch pad for the biggest star of an entire decade mm -hmm. and he does everything he's good at in one scene while at the same time being funny and making some pretty political points. Mm -hmm. uh, why is Eddie Murphy your most valuable whatever in this film? Because he's <laughs> the brightest star and in the scene in Torches, he shines brightest, Chris. <laughs> Fine. All right. A real one now. Uh, what would your change be? Uh, well, we've actually touched on it. It really took me out of the movie. And I couldn't decide whether that was my fault or the movie's fault. The fact that repeatedly Jack is not recognised as being a cop, like four, five, six times in this movie, I found myself going, oh, that's weird. That's weird. But I couldn't decide if that was kind of like real. And because this was like the genre maker for this kind of movie. And, you know, you come to, say, Lethal Weapon, for example, if Riggs goes, I'm a cop, people just go, OK. Mm. And maybe I'm just used to that. And in reality, that might not happen. And maybe this is closer to reality. But because my movie brain is now attuned to, if someone says you're a cop, you assume they're a cop in these movies. Like, this is, I'm, I'm sort of constantly going, is that important? Is that a big mm. thing? Why is that happening? And I will say, now you've said that, it obviously makes more sense in Beverly Hills Cop. Why is a young black guy a police officer in Beverly Hills? Sure. So it, it, here, Jack literally sells, I can't walk into that bar, they'll know I'm a cop. <laughs> so he's, he's acknowledging that people, normal people know he's a cop. Mm. Why don't cops know he's a cop? Sure. Yeah, exactly. it's, it's, it's rubbish. Yeah, that's my big change. Stop okay. doing that. What's yours? Well, I don't know much about police procedure. Um, aside from the fact that if you shoot an unarmed man currently in police custody who is on his knees with his hands cuffed behind his back in front of 50 witnesses, you probably aren't being driven home. <laughs> but 
I reckon Jack should offer Reggie three months off his sentence in exchange for the garage info and turn this into a short movie. Because it's mad. It's mad. I don't even know if you can do that. Can you just check? I mean, I know he... He, 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 he forges he forged it. There's a whole forgery but, thing. But what's the... For, what, who's he forging on behalf of? This is what I I'm just borrowing this bloke. I thought the chief was going to chew him out later because he put the chief's name down because only the chief of police. And I thought that's what we were leading up to, some big face-off where he's like, you're off the case, Jack, yeah. and you're suspended because you forged my name. It never comes back. No. So I don't I don't I don't know how it works. Weird. Yeah. Weird. Would have been better if it was a bomb strapped to a Yep. Later. Woman. Right, that's it. Okay, I just realised we haven't 100% agreed on next week's films. No. Okay, you didn't get back to my text. Yeah, I think you don't want them. I think the pairing that I came up with, having looked on the internet, actually works. You know the one that you said, I can't remember that movie. And I was like, well, it goes with that. Oh, I don't know now. We'll do mine. We'll do mine. Okay, we'll do mine. More moments later. Hopefully Nikki's cut a lot of that. <laughs> I uh, like it. It's real. You want to see behind the curtain? That's it. Chris and I don't really hate each other. We have adult <laughs> conversations about these things. And this is how much we care about getting it right, we the pairing. Really we really care. Um, we spent 24 hours. I literally texted Alex last night and said, this is stressing me out too much. Yeah. I need to go to sleep. Yeah, and I went to sleep as well. <laughs> um, all right. Next week's films... Really grind my gears. Oh, do they? Do they? They really grind my gears. All right, all right don't oversell it. Don't oversell it. I've got it. I mean, I think it's it's... not. You know what the films are. Well, yeah, I mean, but I think I just thought, anyway. They really got. They really got grind Chris's gears. Okay, that is your clue. We're going to be back before then on Thursday, talking Beverly Hills Cop and seeing which of these two films will be victorious. Until then, have a great week. Clash of the Titles is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.